Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk AM 1150. We're here on this fine autumn day. Eric, how's it going? It's going okay. Yeah? Yeah. Pretty nice day today, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I would say that uh, if you were to choose to take your dog for a walk, you would probably enjoy it. And as you should. (laughs) Great Absolutely. day to take your dog for a walk, go somewhere new even, give him some new sights and smells especially. Um, so we've had, um, today's show, I have Tim Percival back with me in the booth. It's been a few years, I think, a couple years at least, Tim, huh? Welcome back. Thank you. I think it was uh, 2011. Yeah. Maybe 2012. Oh, wow. All right. So it's, uh, I'm glad to have you back to talk about... Disaster preparedness for your pet. Uh, we had in Seattle um, this, I think it was this summer, where there was all this stuff going on around, I saw around social media and and otherwise about, you know, the big earthquake and everybody was pretty rattled by that. And, and then, of course, the... Um, wildfires that the state and this region really have um, been enduring this this season, which you were actually on site for, Tim, in Washington. Um, and I just wanted to revisit this topic because it's so important to know how to best prepare for disaster, you know, how to best prepare for the worst, right? And um, just to set yourself up for success um, as best you can. So before I start talking with Tim, I just wanted to um, give a quick announcement um, about some events that are coming up at the Natural Pet Pantry in Kirkland. Uh, There's a massage basics class taught by Gretchen Dietz Saturday, October 24th from 11 to 1. There's a titers clinic with Aaron Zamzow, Dr. Zamzow, on Saturday, November 14th from 11 to 4. And that will be antibody testing for parvo and distemper. And then there are, I can't believe I'm talking about, I mean, it's like almost Thanksgiving now, sort of, Santa and Family Photos by Julie Austin, uh, Saturday, November 14th from 11 to 6. Now, that looks like the same date, so I'll have to confirm that, but um, as uh, the Titers Clinic, so maybe those both are going on, but you can go to the naturalpetpantry.com and uh, check out their website for more information. But they've got some great events coming up this fall, so check that out. So I know for us, Tim, um, you know, for our dogs, since the earth, all that earthquake stuff was going around, we we paid attention and it got us nervous enough that we were like, okay, we need some supplies. We need to really, you know, we got like um, different crates for our dogs. And, um, you know, I know that there's a certain way, and we'll talk about this, about how to identify, um, have identification like on the crates and, you know, beefed up our water, you know, our home water supply and all that kind of stuff. And we, it just, made us nervous. And so I wanted to just talk, and we actually talked, we're going to break this topic up into two shows because there's so much to cover. And in this show, we're going to focus on the preparation aspect of it. So what what to do in preparation, and then we can talk about some things to know 
If there's more stuff to cover around that, we can do that in the next um, episode, which will be in November. And then also like things to know during an event, what to do, what not to do, what to look out for, stuff like that. So I just want to start off and talk about the preparation. And and one of the things that you said kind of right out of the gates is that there's different types of disasters too. So I imagine that some of this would be more, um, well, not some of the stuff that we're going to cover because that's pretty basic, but that the, you've probably seen the difference between like a, the, the Oso mudslide versus the wildfire. You have kind of different challenges that you're dealing with. So there's different types of natural disasters. But one of the first things that you said is identification. Yeah, identification is uh, really important because if you can't find your pet, how are you going to be able to get your pet if it's in a shelter? Mm-hmm. So it's really important to make sure that your pet is microchipped or at least make sure that you have photos. And if you do microchip your pet or have a tattoo or however you, you do that, to make sure you keep that information up to date. Mm-hmm. That's something a lot of people do. They get it done whenever they get the animal from the shelter or as a puppy, and then they never update it whenever they move. Mm-hmm. And so once that happens, uh, once once you move, the animal's found, now they can't reach you. Yeah. So it's really important. So keeping the your information current with whatever company you have your microchip through, um, identif- you know, ID tags, have your pet licensed with the city, um, all that kind of stuff is important. Um, now, you talked about photos of the dog, having photos of the dog, photos of you with the dog, photos from different angles, and then even if there's easily identified marks that the dog has, taking clear photos of those too. But one of the things, so, well, one, why why do you need photos of the dog sort of ready to go? And then why would you need photos of you with the dog? So there's a, several reasons. One, if on an everyday basis, if you lose your dog and you already have the photos, then you can make that lost shelter or lost uh, poster really easily. Mm-hmm. But going into a shelter, if you are looking for your dog, one of the things that happens in a shelter is we have people that go shopping unbelievably. Mm-hmm. They, during a disaster, they're looking for a new pet. So they decide, well, let me go to the, the emergency shelter. So we don't really give out animals Mm. Unless we can figure out, make sure it's yours. So if you have those photos, it really helps us out. Mm. If you have any identifying marks, then it really helps us out too. Mm. The other reason to have a picture of you with your animal is to prove, I didn't take this picture in the shelter. This is actually me with the animal. And there are some challenges if you have a black lab. How many black labs are out there? So you need to make sure that you you really try to make a description of what your dog actually looks like. Yeah. And to get a photo where you can really see the dog's face, which is especially hard with dogs that are all black. Um, but the maybe even like the so that a shelter person could could look at the photo and then look at the dog and be like, oh, yeah, this is this dog. This looks like this dog. This, you know, because their head shape and all that kind of stuff is different, too, because you wouldn't think that people would try to take advantage of that kind of situation and go get a pet when they know that that pet likely has somebody looking for them. Yeah, there's some people out there that aren't very trustworthy and there's things that happen during disasters that people really try to take advantage of the situation. So Mm. you want to make sure that you do everything you can to be prepared to get your animal back. So uh, have your dog microchipped, keep that up to date, Um, tags licensed with your city or county, Photos of the dog, photos of you with the dog, 
different angles so that you have proof of ownership, um, vaccine information. Are there other ways that people can supply proof of ownership? Yeah, there's. you can actually have the registration or, or if your dog is a, like AKC registered or if you got the proof from the, the um, shelter, then you can make sure that you have that. One of the biggest things that you should have in your disaster kit are Ziploc bags and a whole bunch of them because then you can waterproof any of your documentation that you have and it's a cheap, easy thing to do and you can see through it. So whatever documentation you have from the vet or from vaccine vaccines or whatever, even titers, mm-hmm. uh, make sure that those sort of things are accessible, easily accessible, so that way you can take that to the shelter and mm. prove ownership of your animal. And then a certain way to um, make sure to have kennels, because that's a big factor for rescue, isn't it? If a dog is in a crate, much easier, or has a crate, much easier to transport them than to somewhere that they may need to go. And then I think I remember from our last conversation about having the dog's identification and information attached securely to the crate itself as well. That's correct. Photo yeah. of the dog. Yeah, anything that you have that you can attach to the crate itself as well as on the dog is going to really help. And we talked last time also, make sure that your animals are crate trained. I know a lot of people aren't interested in having their pets sleep in a crate, but the more comfortable they are in a crate, when it's during a disaster, they're probably going to be in a crate. So the more comfortable they'll be during a disaster. too. Yeah. A lot of times people will ask me, um, do I need, you know, do do I have to have my dog in a crate? Or it's like, well, no, not necessarily, but you do want to have them crate trained because what if they have to be in a crate, whether it be at, at a vet or during an event like this or for whatever reason, just so that that helps the dog not be so stressed out. Yeah. I've seen dogs stressed out in, uh, disaster shelters where they've actually ripped crates apart. Mm-hmm. We we have to reinforce several crates um, all the time because dogs are so stressed they're ripping apart and it just makes you feel bad for the animal. Yeah. So um, out of area contact and um, I like this one, the list of pet friendly hotels with maps. Yeah, so it's twofold. One, the out of area contact one of the things that happens is it's really difficult for people to talk locally when there's disaster, especially now that everybody has cell phones. What's going to happen is the the cell towers are going to get overloaded and we may not be able to talk to each other, even though we're sitting right across from each other, Mm. but we may be able to call somebody in another state and talk to them or texting is also something that you can do if you can't talk. So having that out of area contact. So that way I can contact somebody out of state and then that person can contact my spouse, and then we know that each other is okay because we can't reach each other. Right. So what happens in, so one of the things that you had said was problems with cell phones. Um, so is that mostly where they get overloaded? It's It might be overloaded or it might not be in electricity. Right. Last year during the Okanagan fire, um, we were working without electricity. So we had no cell phone mm-hmm. or very little cell phone. So communication was very challenging for people. There wasn't even 911 service. Wow. Yeah. How scary that would be, too, to not be able to to reach, you know. So one of the things that you said, too, is, like, people say all the time, and I've said this before, too, like, I would never leave my house without my pet. And, you know, you've heard a lot of stories about that, like, from Katrina and other disasters where people were just like, I'm not leaving or 
And then you brought up a good point. Well, what if you can't get home to your pet? Yeah. Last time we spoke, I, was, I just got back from Memphis flooding, and we had a gentleman that was away whenever his the road flooded to his house, and he mm. just couldn't get back home. So mm. that's always a concern. And so make sure that you have neighbors, and you're 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 communicating with your neighbors, and maybe you can trust your neighbors enough to come over and check on your mm-hmm. pets, and and vice versa. Uh, it's good for them to know your animals anyways, and it's good for you to know their kids if they have kids. So this was something that I was, um, I've was i been wanting to talk with you about for a couple, maybe a few months now because I've had this on my radar. We have um, a neighborhood full of dogs, and we see them, you know, walking by. And I'm friendly with some of the owners. We've had conversations and, and others who I haven't but who I recognize and I thought that would be such a powerful thing to have in place for each other and ourselves to actually meet up with neighborhood dog or pet, you know, neighborhood pet owners and to have a list of, um, you know, what pets are in each house so that once, if you are home and you kind of get your um situation squared away at your home, you could go to your neighbor's houses and just check on their animals and see what if they are trapped and can't get home for, I don't know, how long does does the dog need water? You know, just kind of basic care like that. And then getting to know like behavioral challenges, is the dog afraid of strangers, developing a relationship. And it seemed to me like it was a really good idea. And it sounds like indeed. Yeah, there's actually a program from Washington State called Map Your Neighborhood. Yeah. It's not really focused on animals per se, but it's something that you could definitely put in there. Mm-hmm. And it's a way to get your neighbors to know each other. Um, it's a it, figure out where the gas shut off is in your mm. um, in your house. And so your neighbors all know that. And it's all about uh, having contact information with those neighbors too. Mm. So it's a really good program. It's similar to uh, like a block watch, but for more disaster type of stuff. And it's it's easy to do. Map Your Neighborhood. Map your neighborhood, yep. and it's a like a website or an if, app. If or? you go to um, Washington State Emergency Management, you should be able to find something. If you type in "map your neighborhood," or you may look up "NYN" because it's uh, a state agency, so they love acronyms. Okay, and that was um, the Washington State Emergency Management and Map Your Neighborhood. Washington State. Emergency management. Yeah, and and it, like I said, it's not going to talk about dogs in there. Mm-hmm. But while you're meeting with everybody, you can yeah. say, "Here's my dog. My, you know, I have a an aggressive Chihuahua, and uh, <laughs> you know, here's let's get him get to know him. So that way, yeah, uh, he's not aggressive towards right. you." So that's a really um, that's been something that's been on my mind, and this is motivating for me. And I've actually already reached out to a couple of my neighbors just as I've seen them in conversation, and everybody's really game to like, yes, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do it. Um, so as far okay, and then list of pet friendly hotels with maps. Yeah, so you know we rely on our cell phones more and more every day. So. On my way here to the studio, I was looking on my cell phone for directions. Well, what happens if there's no cell phone? You have no directions. So if you have a map to hotels, pet stores, vets, printed out old school MapQuest or something like that, then you you can get there. Um, It's a pet first aid thing, too, because if you have a, a 
map to your veterinarian's office, then what happens is you can be in, in the back seat with your pet and somebody else can drive you to the vet. Mm. Um, the other thing is, is to make sure you have multiple places to get pet food because if there's a disaster, your local store where you get your pet food is probably impacted also. So especially if you have a specialty type of pet food, it's going to be more difficult to find that. So you want to make sure that you know somewhere else that has it and maybe even somewhere that might be out of the area. So I was going to say it would have to be somewhere that wasn't also a neighborhood pet store because they would also probably be impacted in the same way. Exactly. Yeah. And when you go to buy that, the best thing to use is cash. So make sure that you have cash with you and and part of your disaster kit is cash because, again, when the phones don't work, we, we don't have credit card and ATM machines. So right. cash will almost always work. That's something that I've heard in bo- in other, you know, if I've seen it on a TV program or whatever about how important it is to have cash on hand for that reason. Definitely, yeah. yeah. How much do you recommend people try to have? It, it, what whatever your comfort zone is, yeah. you know, if whatever if, you can, yeah. So you know, you want to be real careful. You don't want to have you know twenty thousand dollars in cash, yeah. So where somebody's letting all your neighbors off. know in the neighborhood watch, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it, you know what what it, what's your comfort zone? Are you willing to stay at um, a lower end hotel, or do you want to stay at a higher end hotel? And so think about that, and think about your needs, and and think about how long you might actually be there. Now, on top of that, the other thing is is Try to have family that you can stay with rather than a hotel mm-hmm. because that's going to be a lot more comfortable. But make sure they're okay with you bringing your, your dog. Right. So um, in our case, I mean, I think there's – I get all – I have all these questions come up like, okay, well, you know, how many days are we talking about? And I know, of course, it is going to depend on the type of disaster and location and all that kind of stuff. But is there a general, like – if you had to say, you know, prepare to have this this many days worth of food and water and medication and and blah 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 blah, what is that sort of time frame that you recommend? So we used to say three days. It yeah. Used to be three days, three ways. But what we do now is really, if you can be prepared for seven days, you're going to be a little bit better prepared. Okay. Three days is the minimum, and the reason that that came up is, in theory, it's going to take three days to get people here to help. But where do you live? Do you live in a rural area? And if so, it's going to take a lot longer to get help there. So mm-hmm. we usually try to recommend about seven days at least. The more, the better. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good to know. I know we've been stocking up on water and stuff like that. Um, okay. Well, why don't we take a quick break and then we'll come back and we'll be talking more with Tim Percival. We're talking about disaster preparedness with your pet in mind. And you're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their two stores in Burien and Kirkland, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your door. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. I'm Julie Forbes, and my first choice for my pet's food is the Natural Pet Pantry. It's the educated choice. 
Wish your dog didn't hate going to the vet? Wish you were welcomed by a team who cared? Jet City Animal Clinic is an enjoyable respite from the same old thing. Dr. Anderson and her team have created a full-service facility that combines veterinary expertise with a comfortable style. Jet City Animal Clinic is located in Seattle's Capitol Hill neighborhood on 12th Avenue across from Seattle U. Bring your crazy questions, odd ideas, and alternative thinking. Jet City Animal Clinic will work with you to keep your furry family members healthy and happy. Traditionally educated with an open mind, call us at 206-329-0253 or email info at jetcityanimalclinic.com to make an appointment. Jet City Animal Clinic, a unique approach to the health care of your urban pet, a local family practice, jetcityanimalclinic.com. Hey, dog show fans. Does something stink in your home or car? Pure Air is a powerful odor eliminator that is the only natural food-grade product in its category. It works on bedding, kennels, litter boxes, urine, vomit, poop, even skunk spray. You know, all the fun smells our pets bring into our home. It's so non-toxic that you can literally eat it, a requirement for our home and our dogs. Spray pure air on anything you can put water on and let your nose watch the odor disappear. Ask for pure air in stores that specialize in natural, non-toxic products for home. Or visit dogradioshow.com for a link to their website. I'm Julie Forbes, your host of The Dog Show. Pure Air is the only odor eliminator you'll find in my home. You'll love it. Don't forget, this is Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And we're back talking with Tim Percival, who's a firefighter and pet first aid instructor. What else are you? Do animal rescue. I you know, whatever's around. Hero, general hero. No, I wouldn't say that. Um, so he's back with us talking about uh, disaster preparedness with your pet in mind. And um, if you've missed any part of this episode or any of our almost 350 shows now, you can find them all archived on our website, dogradioshow.com. You can also go to iTunes and download them for free. Just search for The Dog Show with Julie Forbes and be sure to be sure to find us on Facebook as well. So we're at the part in my notes, and then you swung your computer around, Tim, and showed me this really awesome list that I'm going to try to post on our um, homepage, dogradioshow.com, which is a pet disaster supply kit. And it is an extensive list, um, you know, all sorts of really important things. We talked about, you know, having a crate, and it's uh, having a plastic crate, right, as opposed to a wire crate? You can have either. One of the biggest things is whenever you start, you get all this stuff, and this, this we're getting ready to talk about having a kit. Yeah. You get all this stuff, you're getting ready to leave, you have your kids, your pets, your people, all your stuff, is it going to fit? Mm. So keep that in mind, too, is that the more stuff you are going to bring, the more space you need. So a plastic a, a plastic berry kennel type of crate has its advantages where a wire crate has its advantages. So it just depends on really whatever you're comfortable with, what type of space you have, and what your, your animals are comfortable with. So if a, if a crew was coming in to having to evacuate your pet for you, would, does it matter if they're in a wire or plastic crate? 
No. They're just happy that they're in a crate. Yeah, we're really happy they're in a crate. Okay. What generally happens is we will put them in a very kennel. Uh, Like right now with the flooding that's going on in South Carolina, a couple of the teams that I'm on are down there. And so they've taken very kennels out to rescue animals. But then once they get into the shelter, they try to put them in a wire crate rather than a very kennel if Mm -hmm. possible. Okay. And you said a um, sheet and tarp. Yeah. So if you're out in the middle of nowhere, uh, a sheet will be really nice to put over, provide some shade, provide Mm. some privacy for your pet. Mm. And the tarp... If this happens uh, in the middle of the winter, you can put it underneath so that way it's a little bit waterproof. And so it helps protect your pet and you can bring it up on the side. So if the, if the grass is wet or a little bit of pool of water, it won't get inside your okay. pet's crate. Or also, so I guess if it was a wire crate to maybe have to put the tarp over the crate if it for like rain, like exactly. here, right? Yep, sure could. Okay. Yeah, a lot of these things you wouldn't even think of. Like, well, what if you had to shade, shade from sun or something like that? Um, so we talked about all of the identification and documentation. And then now you have some like um, sanita- you know, soap, dish soap, hand soap, if, it, if it's a cat, you know, litter, having, having, having plenty of that. Newspaper, paper towels, cloth towels, disinfectant, garbage bags, all that kind of stuff is important to have just because you're probably going to need it. Yeah, you, you- the example that I gave on the last show is imagine that you're camping for a, a week. Yeah. And that's what we're looking at. What would you take if you were going to go camping for a week uh, with your pet? And you're going to have to clean up at some point. The other thing is you may have to wash your animals. So, again, with the flooding going on right now, I, I haven't talked to anybody per se, but chances are whenever they get an animal, they have to put the animal through decontamination because that flood water has all kinds of contaminants in it. So you have to bathe the animal. Mm. Same thing um, with any sort of, uh, you know, hurricane, which we don't really have here, but if you're, if you're flying out somewhere or anything like that, you may have to decontaminate your animal some way. Do you find that in most situations people leave with are in a position where they're having to leave with their pet or they're stuck at home? It's both. A lot of times what what I've seen, especially on wildfires, is they're going to stay at home. If they, unless they absolutely have to, to leave, they're going to stay at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to the flooding, that sort of situation, or an earthquake, it's going to be more of a you're at home when it happens or you're at work whenever it happens and you're not able to get back home. So it just depends on the type of disaster it is. Is it something that's predictable or is it something that's just spur of the moment? So if if a big earthquake hit Seattle and we were home, would and I know I know there's so many variables, so it's hard to answer this, but would we be likely looking at leaving or looking at having what we need in the house? Hopefully, hopefully you're staying at home. Yeah, uh, because that's where you're going to be most comfortable. But when that earthquake happened, did it make it to where your home's not livable? Right. Are you able to leave? Do you have to cross over bridges, and have those bridges been compromised by the earthquake? Mm-hmm. So ideally, you would stay at home, but you may or may not be able to do that. The other thing is, are you are you able to? Is there electricity? And and if there is, do you have a medical issue to where 
you need electricity and you may not have a generator. So there's all kinds of reasons that you may have to leave, but the ideally is to stay at home. Yeah, I'm glad you said generator because that's been something on my own mind for our house to get because we don't have one. And I can imagine if for nothing else, you know, cell phones have batteries. So you have the sort of uh, clogging the system issue where you might not be able to make local calls, but you might be able to call out of state. But then also your battery's dead. There's no electricity. So one thing with cell phones, I mentioned earlier, if you need to call somebody and you can't get out, try texting because mm-hmm. texting works a lot better than a phone call. Mm-hmm. The other way that you can charge a cell phone is start up your car mm-hmm. and plug your plug it in there. Generators are great. Don't get me wrong. Uh, they're they're wonderful. And I think that ideally everybody would have one. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you do have a generator, there's a few concerns that you need to do. Make sure that you have enough fuel to put in the generator because mm-hmm. once you're out of fuel, you don't have a generator anymore. Right. Then you also need to lock it up. And then the other big concern with generators is carbon monoxide poisoning. So make sure that if you do have a generator that it's in a place to where you're not going to be inhaling those fumes. Don't bring it in the living room. Correct. Or right. even right by a door. You know, mm. And you may want to lock it up because they're a hot commodity during oh, a, during a disaster. Yeah. I've thought about that too, like a sort of, you know, you get all this all this good stuff and then you're like almost a target for... Yeah, you are. I mean, I guess we're, it's nice that we have a fair, you know, a, a nice pack of dogs, but, yeah, you know, that wouldn't, wouldn't compete with other things, I guess, so. Well, one other plus with the generator is your refrigerator, especially if you feed raw. Mm-hmm. So if you feed raw, you need to think about how you're going to keep that food cool. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can have an ice chest or something, a really good ice chest and put ice in it and let it, let it be in there. But if you have a generator, you can keep all your food good. And that's, a big concern with people is uh, making mm-hmm. sure that their food is good. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's a lot. I'm, like I said, I'm going to post this list on our website, dogradioshow.com. Now, what about first aid on the first aid side of things? What are some good things for people to have in a pet first aid kit? And I know that there's some that are, um, you know, that you can actually buy. Yeah, you sure can. You, there's all kinds of pet first aid kits that you can buy. My suggestion is to buy a people first aid kit and add things to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a lot cheaper because what a pet first aid kit usually comes with is a leash, uh, some vet wrap, and and maybe a muzzle or something like that. So you you need a first aid kit for yourself anyway, so just add to it and you can add whatever to customize it. Uh, Basically, the the same things that you would have in a, a human first aid kit would be applicable for a dog first aid kit. When it comes to medications, you want to make sure that they, you can, before you give a dog medication, make sure it's okay. And there's, right. you know, the pet poison information that you can get that with that. Vet wrap is probably one of the best things to have mm-hmm. in there for people or for, yeah, for I dogs. Yeah, I use it when I, if I cut my finger or something, I'll wrap it up with vet wrap and it's great. Yeah. So yeah. vet wrap is probably one of the best things. And like I said, leashes um, and muzzles, because even the friendliest dog can bite you when it's hurt, scared, or, or, uh, just doesn't know what's going on. Sure. So if you don't know how to, if you don't have a muzzle, make sure you know how to make an impromptu muzzle out of bandage or a leash or something like that. And you said that there are some, um, you know, classes, courses that people can take to prepare themselves, both on the human end of it and the pet end of it as well. Where do you recommend people go to find out about that kind of thing if they want to go and take a course? Like I know my mom took one a disaster preparedness course, I think last year or something like that out in Issaquah. Yeah, there's several 
several classes that you can do. Uh, if you want pet first aid, there's pet first aid classes, there's disaster uh, pet classes. So just figure out what you want. Some of them are combined. So like whenever I teach pet first aid, it's usually disaster first, disaster uh, preparedness and pet first aid at the same time. Uh, there's there's good companies uh, you can go to. There's an organization called Pet Tech. You can go on there and try to find a pet first aid instructor. Uh, Red Cross has classes. Um, I teach them at learnpetfirstaid.com. Um, but there's several different places that you can go. Um, there's even a lot nowadays, a lot of uh, like doggy daycares and everything have classes that are available. One thing that you may also want to do is check with emergency management, your local emergency management, and see if there's any classes available. And if there aren't, ask if they can try to set up a class. Mm. So I didn't even know that those existed. I mean, it's like obviously they do, but I just never thought about it until I saw that on your on your list um, that a city would have a emergency management entity that sort of handles managing emergencies. Yeah, um, most larger cities do, and even smaller cities, they have somebody that will be an emergency manager. Maybe that's uh, something that's down on the you know their their hats that they wear but and they won't wear it unless they have to right but the counties all have them it's it's a every government agency should have something some sort of plans in place in case of some sort of emergency or disaster so is it beneficial to sort of get in touch and find out be like hey what's your plan yeah in my personal opinion you should you need to find out what's the plan if there's a disaster what what are you going to do for pets because right now what's going on is we're really trying to focus on people. Right. And, of course, animals are a necessity to try to, to plan for, but they're so overwhelmed with trying to figure out with people that they may or may not have plans for pets. So it's a good idea to to go and ask them. Now, the better thing to do is to go and ask them and then to see if you can help them come up with a plan. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's plenty of organizations, national organizations and everything to get that information. Right now I'm talking to the city of Renton about uh, how, you know, planning for pets and sheltering and everything. So I've given them a few resources and we'll be giving them some more so they can make those plans. Mm. Now you said after Hurricane Katrina, there was a Pets Act. Yeah. So, So the government came up with something called the Pets Act after Katrina. And it's really, it's saying that it's a requirement that state and local organizations come up with a plan for pets. But that's about the extent of it. So it doesn't go into depth of what the, the actual needs may be. So some some places like Louisiana have an extensive plan yeah. of what to do because they've lived it. Now. Yeah. Now they do, exactly. Right. Where, in my personal opinion, there's some communities here that have really good plans and some that that needs some work still. Mm-hmm. And so it just it varies completely on where you are. Yeah, well, certainly a complication to rescue efforts and, I mean, everything when you consider pets and how, you know, a lot of people, there are so many stories that I still see sort of every once in a while trickling around about people refusing to leave and or being forcefully taken from their homes and having to leave their pets behind or... Um, stuff like that is definitely a complicating factor. It's hard enough. Well, last, or actually this year at, at um, one of the wildfires, I went out with the national organization to check on the needs, and there was somebody that left some horses, 
and they left their house so they weren't able to go back in. So uh, me being a qualified firefighter and an animal rescue person, uh, there was a good chance I was going to be the person going in to get the animals because Mm -hmm. they weren't able to. Luckily, the fire didn't get close enough to where that wasn't a concern, but Mm -hmm. that's something that can happen. So what was that... um you were out there for these, the firefighters were just, uh, or the, the fires out there were really, we were all this, you know, lots of restaurants and, and people um, really making effort to raise money to support your efforts and your team's efforts out out there actually working on it. Um, but what did you, what did you, you know, what were you doing out there? What did you see? What was it like? So th- that's part of what I do. I'm part of an incident management team for um, big incidents. So I was in Oso last year, big fire last year, and then fires all this year. It's it. What you see is you see a lot of scared people. You see people that, especially in Okanagan uh, County, they've seen this before because last year they had the Carlton Complex and now they had the Okanagan Complex. So they really wanted to help, mm. um, and it was a real it, it was a concern because. People were going out and trying to help without having the proper training, but luckily they made it to where there's training available. Uh, last year we we lost some livestock. I don't know what where we are with animals this year, but there was there was emergency shelters that were open both last year and this year. So it's it is a big concern. And one of the things is human shelters don't generally accept animals. Right. So if you're planning on going to a human shelter then you need to have a plan for your animals because they're not going to be allowed in there in most cases. So that's something that you want to ask your emergency management is what is the plan for animals and what's the plan for people if something happens. And and you need to understand that it's going to have to be fluid depending on the disaster. They're not going to be able to give you an exact answer. Sure, right, which we've come across a lot in this conversation because I'm like, Tim, what do we do? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, depends. That's That's basically... What this whole conversation could be is it depends. It seems like education is so key for communities, communication and education. So we talked about, you know, getting together with neighbors that you are comfortable with to, um, you know, in our case, neighbors who have dogs so that we can help them. They can help us in case, you know, you are kept away from your house and you know that your dog is there and so that your dog isn't there for days on end without somebody checking in on them, at least providing water and food and stuff like that and just making sure everything's okay. Um, but then also just the education, the, the preparedness, right, which is why we're doing this show, but to take some courses, get involved with your community, and so that if something does happen, you have the education behind you to help with the panic part of it. Yeah. what You know, one of the big, best, best education classes that there is is CERT. It stands for Community Emergency Response Team. And it's, for, again, for people. But they do have uh, two classes that are animal-related. So it's generally free, and it's in most most cities or counties. So it's a pretty common thing to find CERT. And it's uh, usually about eight weeks of training and it teaches you everything from search and rescue to disaster medical to how to use a fire extinguisher. And then the uh, the animal portion teaches a little bit about animal behavior, um, teaches about how to prepare for, you know, for your animal. And each class is about three hours, so you can't get real detailed in some of that. But it's a really good course and generally for free. And then once a year, uh, the state usually has 
um, it's called a cert shakeup, and everybody comes together and and practices their skills. Hmm. That's um, quite an extensive, so three hours for eight weeks. I think that's the one my mom did. Because it was like it was a time commitment, I was impressed. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's an, it's from FEMA, so it's national, so it's all over the place, mm-hmm. and it's about so it's total about twenty four hours. So some places do it over three days, eight hour days over three days. So it just depends on how the local agency administers it. Mm-hmm. So, um, is there anything else um, after? We say goodbye to Tim. I'm going to be talking with um, Heads Up Pets about their water collar that they have, that I have here in front of me. I was showing it to Tim before the show. Uh, that's sort of a, a different take. It's not a, it's not a um, flotation vest. It's a collar, life that's, jacket. Yeah, it's like a life ring. Life ring. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, I think of those floaties, you know, when kids have the ones around their arms. Except, so this is like a flotation um, collar, which so the idea is that it keeps the head above water, especially if the pet is unconscious. So I'm going to be talking with them after our um, second break, which will be coming up shortly. But I just wanted to ask, well, first of all, Tim, what's your website? So website is www.learnpetfirstaid.com. Okay. It's not up to date, but uh, I will try to work on that. <laughs> All right. And um, is there anything else that is just sort of there for you, like, you know, that we didn't cover about what you would like to take the time to make sure people know to do or not do? Well, first of all, make sure that you get your dog socialized uh, as much as you can, because during a disaster, that's going to be a huge issue. So if your dog has manners, it's going to make life a lot easier for you. And just try to think of, like I mentioned earlier, the camping aspect, but also think of your goal after disaster is to be back to normal. So whatever you need to make to be at normal is what you want to do. So when you're packing all that stuff, don't forget the toys. Uh, don't forget uh, your your pet's medications. And... Um, you know, don't forget to spend some time with your animal because it's a stressful situation mm-hmm. and the animal needs you. And truthfully, you probably need the animal too. Mm-hmm. So it gets you away from the, the stress of the disaster and, and be able to spend some quality time with your pet. Yeah. And I think that that's something that we could get into a little bit more detail next time about um, stress, the stress management aspect of it. And um, I think that's a really great point, keeping things normal, you know, try to play even if you can, um, you know, have little play sessions and just try to uh, take care of the emotional needs of the pet. And you're definitely right. It would definitely benefit the owners as well. And then cash. Make sure you have cash. Make sure you have cash as much as you're comfortable keeping. Yeah. Maybe not advertise that part of it (laughs) in your neighborhood uh, meeting though, right? Correct. All right. Well, um, this was great, and the time went by fast, and uh, there's so much more to cover, so we'll look forward to kind of rounding this conversation out next time. And um, I think for me, the the biggest takeaways are really the importance of being prepared in the first place. I think one of the things that you said, Tim, is the one of the biggest mistakes people make is that they just don't think it's going to happen to them and just don't actually take the steps to get the water, get the whatever, get the kit 
together, get the the photos together, you know, to take the time and put the energy and focus into doing what you need to do in order to be prepared because it's one thing to listen to this show and it's another thing to actually do these things. You know, one of the things I'm guilty of is is taking something out of the kit and not replacing it. Oh, <laughs> so. Stealing from your your yeah. first aid kit or whatever, yeah. yeah. Something that's going to expire, I go ahead and switch it out and use it before it expires, and then I forget to replace it. Right, right, right. Got it. All right. Well, Tim, thanks so much. Uh, great to have you back after all these years. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you again soon. And we're going to take a quick break. And when I come back, I'm going to be talking with Diana Salerno with Heads Up Pets about their... Uh, water collar, this sort of flotation device for your dog. It's a great product. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Pure Air's powerful formula lets you eliminate pet odors safely. It's strong enough to effectively get rid of smells like urine, plus stronger odors like those that can be caused by illness. Pure Air is safe enough to spray directly onto people, animals, or use in the bath or laundry. Pure Air is perfect for dealing with dire situations, refreshing your dog between baths, or just before company comes. Pure Air is the most effective product you can buy to remove stinky pet odors safely. Find it at stores like Mud Bay, McClendon's, and Natural Pet Pantry, or visit their website, pureair.com. That's pure, A-Y-R-E, dot com. I'm Julie Forbes, host of The Dog Show. Pure Air is the only odor eliminator you'll find in my home. You'll love it. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to Designing Health, makers of Missing Link, we cover the world of animals. This week, October 18th, it's a best Sunday with Dr. Nels Rasmussen, and we'll have open phone lines. Dr. Nels can help with emotional, behavioral, or physical problems. He can test for allergies, drug, or supplement compatibility and dosages for you or your animal friends. Call us for a free remote session. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. This is Julie Forbes, dog training, behavior, and nutrition specialist and owner of Sensitive Dog, thoughtful guidance for you and your dog. If your dog needs basic obedience training, a behavior evaluation, or food consultation, I can help you. Call me at 206-372-7399 or visit my website, www.sensitivedog.com. I teach group obedience classes, in-home lessons, and evaluations, and a two-week intensive training program called Higher Education. Again, I'm Julie Forbes, Seattle's dog behavior training and nutrition specialist, www.sensitivedog.com. The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S.-sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their two stores in Burien and Kirkland, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your door. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. I'm Julie Forbes, and my first choice for my pet's food is the Natural Pet Pantry. It's the educated choice. There's nothing else like it on the dial. Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. Nice one, Eric. Hold your head up. 
very appropriate for this segment where we have Heads Up Pets Watercolor with us on the show. We have Diana with Heads Up Pets. Diana, welcome to the dog show. Thank you, Julie. Happy to be here. So I received some information about your product, and I thought it was, um, you know, an interesting idea, given that what I've seen mostly for water safety and flotation have been like life jackets for dogs and that you really have this different design where it's a water collar life preserver versus a life jacket. Um, So I want, again, this is called Heads Up Pets Water Collar and Heads is spelled H-E-D-Z. And Diana, what's your website? It is headsuppets.com. Okay. Spelled H-E-D-Z. Great. All one word. So what inspired, you know, tell us a little bit about what this accomplishes that a life jacket wouldn't, and what inspired you to create this product? Um, If the disaster that we're, since we're talking about disaster, involves water, you need a life preserver. Most life jackets don't claim to protect your dog from drowning. Mm -hmm. The jackets are designed to hold the dog in a swim position. If a dog wearing a life jacket becomes injured or worse, unconscious, his head will drop into the water. With our Heads Up Pets water collar, which is, as you said, a water collar collar design, not a jacket, mm-hmm. if your dog should become exhausted or even unconscious, it will hold him in a position of safety with his nose well above the water. It is really the only proven product of its kind. Mm. And how did it come about? The inventor is my partner in the business. Her dog almost drowned multiple times in her pool. She and her engineering husband came up with the design and, of course, it's been modified um, to what it is today. Mm-hmm. So it is made out of uh, like a solid foam. It's not inflatable, which makes sense. Um, when you sent me the product, I was like, oh, that's funny. I just assumed that it would be inflatable, but it makes sense that it wouldn't be because then it's not going to pop. Right. It's a life preserver. Mm-hmm. So it's actually um, engineered using the same requirements as the U.S. Coast Guard. Uses for human life-saving devices. We call it a PFD, personal flotation device. Right. Um, one of the things I would say, as you described, um, the cell foam, it also um, has nylon strapping. And the straps are strong loops that actually attach the water collar to your pet's own collar. That's what makes this very different from everyone else. If your dog's own collar will not come off over his head, the water collar will protect him from drowning. Mm-hmm. And that hexagonal shape that you see, um, when you open it up, it turns into a long series of flotation sections. Yeah. That makes it easy to insert your dog's collar through the loops. And these straps, which are very important to the design, allow the collar to hang away from the dog's neck, giving him freedom of movement, which you don't get often with jackets, and clear sight around water risk, which is very important in a disaster or panic situation. Oh, yeah. And then when the dog is swimming, or worse, he falls into the water... The straps position the flotation under his chin so it keeps the dog's ears and nose above the water. And the best part, it's very lightweight, almost weightless. So if the dogs are comfortable wearing it, they can be comfortable wearing it for hours. If they're comfortable in their own collar, if they're comfortable with the water collar attached. Yeah. And this is important when you need to focus your attention on preparing for a disaster. Now, a lot of the examples that you've given, the testimonials that you have from uh, customers have been... Uh, situations where dogs have fallen into uh, into a pool or 
into a, you know, in between a houseboat and a dock or a boat and a dock kind of situation. There's a lot of like where the dog has fallen um, in. So it's, you know, very, this is like a designed for accidents, right? Um, it is. But anytime your dog is around water, especially if they're unfamiliar with the area, they need to be protected. You would protect your child that way. You need to think about your dog that way, too. You know, we lose thousands. Some reports say up to 17,000 dogs a year mm. to drowning. Mm. And you so have a... Story that, you have a yeah, you have a... Um, I think we were about to say the same thing. You have a, a you know, unfortunate story of... Um, somebody whose dog drowned and you know so why don't you share that um this is actually from a veterinarian we were um communicating with i'm going to tell you this story in the veterinarian's own words you think it'll never happen to you until it does drowning can happen to even the most responsible pet owner trust me i know and i'm a veterinarian and i still haven't forgiven myself for allowing my beautiful frenchie marcel to drown in a pool. With my attention diverted, he drowned just a few feet away from me. That just must be uh, hard to forgive yourself for something like that, huh? I, I think we're all that way. I mean, they're, they're like a part of our family, and if you do have a family, then it's very hard on the children. Yeah, yeah. And so not all dogs swim well. And I know um, I know you mentioned here bulldogs and dachshunds, and one of our dogs is a dachshund, and she is just not made for it. Her body is not made for swimming. And if she's in a life jacket, we've actually had, her, you know, tried one on once. I think we were in like a swimming lesson um, in a in a like a pet pool kind of thing. Um But she it didn't work because she just became like a water log and was just kind of like rolling over. And that happens, um, bulldogs, dachshunds, even greyhounds, which have very little fat on them, have a problem swimming, and yet they still like the water. Yeah. And so you, you have to protect them. And what this does, it's a wonderful swim aid as well. So not only is it a life preserver, but my dog, can, when I go into the marina situation, he has it on all day long. Mm-hmm. And I can train him very easily to figure out where to get out of the water, because if they're not in an area where they're f- familiar, they actually try to get out the same place they fell in. Right. And because they're trying to keep their nose out of the water, they're looking straight up. So they are not going to look at you off on the side because they're trying to protect their nose. Right. And it just becomes a matter of time, and quickly it can become a matter of time. As little as 15 minutes, if they're panicked, they can become exhausted and right. drown. Yeah. Well, I love the design, and I love that it is something that they can wear all day. It's not something that's going to get them hot. I know you said, uh, or one of, um, I don't know if it was you or one of your testimonials, where they'll even, um, like, dip it in water, and it can help keep dogs cool when it's hot. Um, But it just seems like a really great idea and not something that I had ever thought of. So um, if somebody's interested in having something like this for their dog, how would they order one? Um. Go online and type in Heads Up Pets Watercolor, that's Heads, H-E-D-Z, and Watercolor, all one word. Heads Up Pets will work, or mm-hmm. Watercolor on its own, okay. and you'll go to our website. You can order online, and it'll be delivered to your doorstep. Great. And you've got different sizes based off of weight. Right. We can um, protect dogs from 3 pounds to 200 pounds. All right. Well, again, that's Heads Up Pets Watercolor. Heads is spelled H-E-D-Z. 
Thank you so much, Diana, for being on the show with us and providing this great product. And big thanks to Tim Percival for being back with us talking about disaster preparedness. You can find this uh, um, episode archived on our website, dogradioshow.com. Thanks for listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Julie Forbes.